electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Right now on Fast Florida Feud, Disney versus DeSantis taking a new nasty turn. Bob Iger scrapping plans for a new campus in the Sunshine State that would have housed thousands of employees. We'll get the latest on this developing story. Plus, full stream ahead, Netflix soaring as its ad-supported platform adds over 5 million users. The stock jumping nearly 10%. Then later, Walmart's grocery gains. The retail giant saying consumers are cutting back on pricey purchases but still spending on essentials. We'll go inside the numbers. All that and the chart masters here with an industrial stock he says is so good, it's bad. The reveal just minutes away. I'm Melissa Lee. This is Fast Money. We're live at the Nasdaq market site on the desk tonight. Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, Carter Worth, and Dan Nathan. And we begin with a developing story on the fight between Disney's Bob Iger and Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. Disney now ditching plans to build a new Florida employee campus and not asking thousands of California-based employees to relocate to the Sunshine State. CNBC's senior media and tech correspondent Julia Borston is here on set with the latest in the story. Julia. Well, Melissa, this has all just gone down this afternoon. Disney announcing that it is canceling plans to build a new campus in Central Florida. This was estimated to cost nearly $1 billion. Disney is also no longer asking about 2,000 employees in its Parks, Experiences, and Products division, which it had previously asked them to relocate to Florida to do so. Disney Parks Chief Josh DeMauro announcing this in a memo sent to employees. We obtained this memo. He said that this was due to new leadership and change business conditions. He also said that he, quote, remains optimistic about the direction of the Disney World business and the plans that they already have to invest $17 billion to create 13,000 jobs over the next 10 years. He said, quote, I hope we're able to do so. This, of course, all comes amid Disney's battle with Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. On Disney's earnings call just last week, CEO Bob Iger reiterated his frustration with the state being anti-business. Now, we reached out to Governor DeSantis's office. They told us, quote, given the company's financial straits, falling market cap and declining stock price, it is unsurprising that they would restructure their business operations and cancel unsuccessful ventures. Now, just to fact check, fact check that a bit, Disney did purchase that land and they did already move a few hundred people. Now they're talking about moving them back. But what they didn't do is break ground on that $1 billion complex. Yeah, obviously DeSantis's office does not watch CNBC. <laughs> um, it feels like this is a moment where Iger's basically sticking it to DeSantis, saying, you know what, you, you've been, we've been playing this game and we mean it. We can pull things and you won't like it. Well, that's the thing. They can't move Disney World. But you know what they right. can do? They can say we're not going to move 2,000 employees um, all the way to Florida. And what was so interesting about this when it originally was announced under Bob Chapek is that there was a lot of backlash. People right. have their families and their lives in California. It's a big deal to move. And so this is a reversal um, of that plan. And, uh, and this is you know, one of those levers he could pull. So it's interesting, you know, it, right now this is a huge to-do and Iger's like probably getting it from all sides. But if I think back to a number of sort of big corporate issues like this, there was one where Delta said we can't give discounts to the NRA anymore. And then Georgia said, you know what, we're taking away your tax break. And Delta said, fine, well, you know, this is our values that we need to. So that was a $40 million tax break. This is obviously bigger, but we've seen it again and again. Nike, when they did the Colin Kaepernick 
you know, and then you had people burning shoes. Nike seems to be doing absolutely fine. And then we saw it with North Carolina with the bathroom and the NBA said we got to move and the NBA seems to be doing just fine. So I don't think this will be a permanent um, issue right. for Disney, which is huge. Right. I mean, they do have other battles to face. They should do. Right and, and look, uh, cost reductions at Disney are part of the story. I mean, that was the story. I mean, it, it's really about where parks were fantastic. Um, DTC was coming up short. We're actually worried about the second half on where some of those subs might not meet acceleration, at least for fiscal 4Q. So I'm not surprised to hear this. This is part of the soap opera, but this is part of the story at Disney right now. I mean, look, um, I think shareholders, uh, first of all, Disney is a stock that historically was a free cash flow generating company that was paying a dividend, and that was part of the franchise. Um, so I, you know, I, I think these are great headlines. They're headlines that are still going to play out, but I'm not, this doesn't change Disney as a stock, doesn't change it as, as in terms of their business model. I mean, streaming ESPN might have an impact, Julia. And we yes. have that news today as well. And of course, there have been all these headlines about Disney moving forward with its plans to bring ESPN direct to consumers. Bob Iger has talked about this. He has said he knows it's an inevitability, but that you have to be really careful about the timing and the pricing and what it is that you offer. And they have to work out the deals with the paid TV bundles, with all the cable providers, such as CNBC's parent company Comcast, and also with the league. So this is going to take a while to figure out, but it does seem like it'll happen eventually. Yeah, and I couldn't think of a better guy to kind of help that transition. Julia, I remember at the Code Conference back in September, remember Bob Iger was yeah. up there with Kara Swisher. And he that was this, back when he wasn't CEO. That's back when he yeah. wasn't CEO. But he hinted to this. He yeah. hinted that this was the course in which he was going. And I think for a whole host of reasons, it makes sense that he is here to usher in this massive sort of change. And I'll just say one other point. I know you're going to look at the charts here. I mean, the stock is actually trading right back at where it was when Bob Iger was announced to be the CEO. If you think of all the volatility that we've seen in the market, especially in a lot of the media names and such, I mean, they're probably putting their flag in the ground in the right spots right now under the new old CEO to make some of these transformative changes. Speaking of the chart, yeah, yeah. I mean, sometimes, right, you can just leave something alone. We know it had a heavy volume drop and gap in response to its earnings, 60 million shares worth. And typically a re-rating like that is not something to embrace. So just stay away. All right. Julia, thank you. It's great to see you here in person. It's so great to be on set. Julia Borston. Um, let's bring in for more on this story, CNBC contributor Jim Stewart. Jim is a New York Times columnist known for writing the book Disney Wars. Jim, great to see you. Thanks for, for joining us nice today. To you. Good to see you, Melissa. Uh, what do you what do you make of this whole thing? I mean, it's it's DeSantis's move next, right? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, Disney just escalated this battle in, in a pretty significant way. I mean, it had pretty much before I think been political theater, but now we're talking real money. We're talking real people's lives. We're saying they're not pushing forward with this big expansion in in Florida. They're kind of sending a message to the rest of uh, corporate America that we do not see this as a state that is pro-business and friendly and a place where we want to expand. Um, I mean, it's not going to cost Disney. You know, it may save a little money in the short term, um, but it was one of Chapek's cost-saving measures to get these people out of high-cost Southern California into lower-cost Florida. The Imagineers were very hostile and demoralized by it. They'll be thrilled that this has been canceled. But there weren't that many of them. The, the thousands, other thousands of employees and the billion in investment is not going. So this is going to hurt Florida. I've said all along, DeSantis and Disney have every reason to align their interests, and yet they're pursuing this apparently ever uh, hotter war against each other. And like I, you know, you said, it's DeSantis' move next. Is he going to call a truce here, or is something even more self-destructive going to happen? 
What do you make of the move or the potential move to offer ESPN as a standalone streaming service? Well, I think this is a watershed uh, moment in the history of broadcast, certainly in cable, of, of streaming emerging. I mean, Disney has been modeling uh, a streaming model for, for um, ESPN for, for many years now. But there's, I don't think people thought it would happen quite this fast because the, the, the cable model for ESPN, you know, ESPN was getting close to $10 a subscriber when, you know, the average cable channel was getting 50 cents. I mean, it was the most powerful profit driver, a, a business model that I've ever encountered. Uh, but it's eroding fast. And I think the earnings last week made that very clear. It didn't get quite as much as attention as I thought it would. But with that linear profit, linear broadcasting profit going down was mostly ESPN. And that was down 35%. I mean, it was kind of going down single digits for a while and creeping up more. That's a sudden plunge. So they've been modeling these lines, the cost of the sports rights, the revenues they're getting from the cable subscribers against what they could potentially get through streaming. And those lines are now starting to cross. And I think that's why we're seeing uh, a renewed effort to move to streaming. You said this is a major moment in broadcasting. And so I'm wondering, Jim, because sports had traditionally been the one thing that you would never drop cable for. you got to watch it on TV. Um, and there are other types of programming and channels that have the same sort of thing. Sports and and the stock market is really what I'm thinking of. And I'm just wondering, Jim, what, what does this open the doors for? I mean, if, if Disney's going to go this route with ESPN, what else could happen? Well, I, I think it is, it's the death knell for the cable model. And the, and the cable model was incredibly lucrative for many years. And that, that's just, that's really going to be over. And, you know, sports, I think you're right. Finances, business is another um, key driver of cable subscriptions. But sports is number one. And the streaming services, the rival ones, have, have figured this out. And they've, just, they've realized that this is the way to lock in subscribers and to prevent churn. So you're, these bidding wars are now breaking out. Um, we just saw, you know, parent NBC make a, a big bid, bid for an F NFL presence last week. And... Um, Apple's talking about it. Even Netflix, which said they would never go into sports, is apparently you know scrutinizing that and thinking about it. Amazon is moving in there. So ESPN does not have this field to itself anymore. And these costs are going to go up very dramatically because they are must-see destination TV that if you're a sports fan, you've got to have it. And you can't just cut it off because it's a recurring, it's a recurring event. Yeah. Jim, thank you so much for joining us. Sure. James Stewart of the New York Times. Moving on to Netflix shares, bringing the heat and rallying almost 10%, having their best day since October. In an upfront presentation, the streaming giant said its recently launched ad-supported tiers, nearly 5 million global monthly active users. Over the last year, by the way, the stock has doubled. Dan, what do you think of this move? It's funny. You know, I think all of us on this desk were fairly constructive. Um, you know, when they did that about face on ad, uh, adding this advertising model, in a way, if they were going to see the sort of churn that they were seeing, the competition that they were seeing, it made sense to try to do this. And when you think of just the margin that advertising could add, if they were going to lose these sort of subs anyway, it made a whole heck of a lot of sense, especially with all the focus that we've had for 10 years on the free cash flow or the negative free cash flow it took to create all of the original content. So today is kind of payback in some ways for that. I think probably the trade gets 
it's harder from here as they probably, you know, they have very easy comparisons right now. And the valuation looks kind of reasonable. I know that you guys have been in and out of the name for a whole host of reasons over the last year or so. I mean, it gets harder up here at these 52-week highs, in my opinion. Well, it it does, except for the fact that are are you starting to pay uh, a growth multiple for the company? Whatever that means today. But, but you know, if you pay 26 times the 14 bucks a share, um, it's a a $380 stock um, right about where the stock is now. It's had a good run. What's key is, though, analysts are able to do stuff like say, well, five million on paid is equal to, you know, two and a half million on, on you know, the former metric. And so you're getting that subgrowth. There's no denying that Netflix is the only streaming company that has free cash flow. There's no denying. Um, and this is a quote I'm, I'm quoting from J.P. Morgan, who I think is quoting Nielsen. Um, basically, Netflix has the uh, engagement of three times all the other competitors uh, combined wow. in 22. Um, and their closest competitor, they're five times the engagement. So they're so far ahead. The fact that they're showing growth again, the, you should be paying up for the one that's actually making money. And does this mean that the others are really losing, Karen? If five million monthly active users are out there for Netflix's ad-supported tier, what does that mean for the others? Well, I think we, I mean, we've seen, we've seen growth stall, right? Mm-hmm. I think that, um, I don't know when the reckoning is coming, but it has to be somewhat soon when you've got you know, I don't know, half a dozen all vying for if it's sports or whatever. So um, and Netflix is clearly, clearly in the pole position and has been for a really long time. That being said, though, stock up 16 billion dollars today ish (laughs) on I don't even know exactly what the math means for this. They didn't really go through it. We just know that it's an ad supported tier, but we don't know what the ad revenue is. Right. And we don't know what kind of cannibalization that. So that's a lot of, I think your point, Dan, was just, it's a lot of things that were priced in today. Today was the day for whatever the reason. I'm long, I'm staying long, but I'm nervous. Well, I mean, if you think about it, it's the equal and opposite circumstance of Disney. Disney is a stock that's making relative lows to the market back to 09. I mean, that's a disaster. Whereas this is momentum, it's bullish price volume correlation. All it's done is return to its February high, still off 50% from its all-time high. I think it's a textbook example of a bearish to bullish reversal. How does that make you feel about Disney versus Netflix, Tim, since you are the one? I'm long both. And and, and I, look, I I feel pretty comfortable owning Disney here. I feel pretty comfortable that Disney is on a place to, you know, the cost rationalization that will get this company back to some reasons why I think a lot of people will hold it. Um, The profitability on streaming is something, it's a big question, Uh, you know, but I think they will slowly fall in line as well. It took Netflix a long time. We started here from Warner Brothers Discovery that they're actually maybe going to be there faster. I started nibbling on that, just to be clear. So um, I, I, I don't love Disney. I don't like what's going on, but they're a different company. I mean, they're a company with great assets, and I think a lot of levers to pull, and this whole ESPN dynamic is something to me. If anything, it's only a positive catalyst. We know linear TV is dead, and that's been well-priced. All right, coming up, we've got some earnings action on deck. Shares of Ross stores on the move after reporting results and numbers from the quarter next. And speaking of retail, Walmart out with an earnings beat this morning, but flagging a major issue facing consumers. What you need to know when Fast Money returns. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? 
Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. Earnings alert on Ross Store. Shares of the retailer volatile after hours on a mixed report. Earnings topping estimates while revenues coming in slightly below. Ross Store is also issuing weaker guidance for both the current quarter and full year. Courtney Reagan is here to break that down. Court. Hi, Melissa. So the off-price retailer did report comparable sales in line with expectations up about a percent, but predicts it won't see growth there in this current quarter. Despite saying on the call that sales improved throughout the quarter, with April actually the strongest month. That's the opposite of what Walmart saw when you're talking about the cadence in the quarter. CEO Barbara Rentler says, quote, there remains a high level of uncertainty in today's macroeconomic and geopolitical environments, and prolonged inflationary pressures continue to negatively impact our low to moderate income consumers' discretionary spend. Accessories and cosmetics were best-selling categories. Apparel was challenged. Transactions were up, but average unit retail was down as shoppers sought out the best bargains at Ross stores. On the call, Ross executives said Bed Bath & Beyond's bankruptcy will open up store location possibilities and noted that shrink was a little higher, but not meaningfully so. So that very different from what we heard from Target yesterday. Melissa. So is our average consumer, Courtney, different from the average TJX? consumer shopper? Yes, I would say that Ross Store's consumer is slightly lower income, and they also have a banner called DD's Discounts, uh, which also skews even slightly lower income. So they're a little bit different than a lot of the TJX shoppers, which is, of course, the TJ Maxx, the Marshalls, and the Home Goods. But it is still that off-price category retailer. All right. Court, thanks. Courtney Reagan. Uh, Karen, put this together with the Walmart results. What do you make? Of Very it consistent, all? right? Yeah. That we're seeing, you know, the consumer is still there. They do have money to spend. They do seem to be a little bit cautious. Although Ross stores, it sounds like maybe a little sandbagging there, um, because Target had talked about May not really being much better than April, and March was bad. So, um, but we're seeing this sort of, you know, trade down, value oriented. Which, when you're Walmart and you've got that scale and you got that offering of groceries, you can do it. Um, so the consumer's still there. I, I'd like to see us get out of what happened in March. So it will be next quarter before we really get a sense, I think, of is, are we, is the debt ceiling issue solved? Is, do people feel better about banks? Do they feel better about uh, the Fed and there not being a recession? So I think the consumer is still there, um, but uh, definitely more, uh, you know, this is better for Walmart than I think than it is for Target. I mean, look, I think the, the extreme moves within consumer continue. We know that home builders are at record highs and right. restaurant stocks in general. As all of these, look at the reaction from Target, Home Depot, terrible. Walmart barely moved. It's not a good space to be. You want to favor those other areas of the market. 
Well, and I figured you would say that this chart's done nothing in two years, yeah. right? I mean, and, and I love Walmart. I'm long Walmart. Um, but I acknowledge that there's a lot of great news. I would push back on the people that said this is all grocery. What's the big deal? Like, this isn't a great number. The consumer might be dead. Like, it's not it's not hooray consumer. Well, um, I, they're managing this margin mix and they're managing the mix and how that translates to margin a lot better than people are expecting them to. And I realize part of the benefit here is they've lapped really difficult freight comps. Uh, but I think, mar- you know, Walmart management, as they were uh, beaten up heavily a couple quarters, about five quarters ago, I think deserves a lot of credit. And, and again, nobody can push people around in terms of pricing more than Walmart can all the way through their chain. So, I, I mean, I think it's still a great place to be. I'm very happy owning the stock. I don't own it because I think it's a high growth company and it's not cheap, but it's going to be very defensive here. To go through or to, to weather the next phase of the economy, whatever it may be, it is going to be soft. How, how soft is the question? Do you want to be in a Walmart or do you want to be in a McDonald's? I mean, what sort of Walmart staple do you want to be exposed to, Karen? Walmart. Yeah, I do. And Amazon. Amazon. Right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you obviously you have the tail wagging the dog with the AWS, but Amazon. Yeah. Tim? I think it's, it, I, I like the call on Amazon. I'm sure Carter's got a view on that chart, which has been breaking out to all kinds of fun stuff after underperforming a group. But I, I'm, uh, McDonald's, be careful. I've been long. I like the story, but, but I've also been selling calls and, and slowly that position is almost flat now. Similar to Walmart, Walmart over McDonald's. Agreed. McDonald's is uh, rich, full, steep, whatever word you want to use. So First, good, it's bad. Getting into that. <laughs> Wait. What that could be. Later in the show. But Later Amazon show. has all the elements of the opposite. Something that's been terrible that's now emerging. Yeah. Terrible but emerging, Dan. Can you he, get on board with that? He calls <laughs> it a bearish to bullish reversal. Right. I've been following his work for 15 years now. Um, yeah, no, I, I listen, I think the Amazon thing is interesting. I think it's interesting that that's where you went to in her like little would you rather. That was just like yeah. you just snuck that in there a little <laughs> that's bit. That's okay, that's um, Karen. So would you rather right. rather? She's the only one, job, by the way. <laughs> yeah. No, but it's interesting that you went there because we spent so much time talking about the valuation of this company and how it's been associated with like the high growth, the high margin aspects of their business. And the North American retail business has basically been left for dead or so. And at some point in a market like this, that might start to appreciate that sort of stuff. Maybe you start to do get a little bit more evaluation support there. All right. Coming up, more after hours action, this time in shares of Applied Materials. That stock is on the move after reporting results. We're bringing you the numbers next. Plus, is a bottom in for biotech? Negative sentiment dragging on the space for some time now, but our next guest says the group could be about to turn around. The names he is seeing leading the pack ahead. You're watching Fast Money live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. Back right after this. For more than a decade, Comcast has been committed to bridging the digital divide and connecting millions to affordable high-speed Internet. But the barriers to get connected go well beyond affordability. Through Project Up, Comcast is committing $1 billion to reach millions with digital skills training, resources, and opportunities needed to succeed in a digital world. Project Up, building a future of unlimited possibilities. Learn more at Comcast.com slash Project Up. Welcome back to Fast Money. Earnings alert on applied materials. Shares in the red despite a top and a bottom line beat. AMAT also issuing strong EPS guidance for the current quarter. Let's get some details from Christina Parsonevelis. Christina. 
Unlike other U.S. chip equipment suppliers, Applied Materials is more exposed to mature, what we call lagging chips, often used in car sensors and power stations. And that uh, we, we saw with the drop in demand from consumer electronics and in turn memory chips, it's been the off, I guess, the saving grace for Applied Materials. With Gary Dickerson, the CEO, saying on the call, clearly the memory market is weak. He continued to say equipment spending from memory chip firms is tracking at its lowest level in more than a decade. Although the company didn't provide a full year outlook, uh, they did say that Q3 guidance uh, did uh, their estimates, sorry, beat what was out there with CEO Gary Dickinson pointing to demand from clean energy, electric vehicles and industrial automation. However, China for them isn't going to be the fastest growing economy for their products. Instead, it's going to be Japan, Europe and the United States. Lastly, management on the call did warn their backlog of inventory would still remain elevated as customers delay orders. You can see shares are down almost uh, 1.6 percent. Thank you, Christina. Christina Parts and Evelis, you know, for a stock that's moved about 12% for the week, it hit a 52-week high in today's session. It was up more than 3% today. That's not bad, Dan. Yeah, it's not bad. And it trades at a market multiple. But here's the problem right now for earnings and sales this year. They expect to be down mid-single digits and about flat to down uh, like low single digits next year. So like maybe that multiple is not appropriate. But there was um, a comment in the release that I thought was really interesting. Our longer-term outlook is very positive. And semiconductors become a larger and more strategically important market globally and uh, major technology inflection points. Okay, so that's the AI, right? Wow. But also strategically important, I think, is really important. Like that, that speaking to the fact that they make the machines that make the semiconductors. So if you're going to be reshoring, you know what I mean, away from some of these strategically maybe dangerous spots, they should benefit from that. But to me, it feels like, to your point, it's discounting uh, any good news that was expected in this quarter. And I think if you look at the move in semiconductors of where they're getting 70 percent of their revenues, you kind of see what's been going on here. Um, the, the digital, uh, I mean, display, excuse me, is still a small point, and there's nothing good going on there. I just, you know, they, they have a couple things that are exciting, not only just because they are exposed to semis and, and the kind of growth that largely is being priced in there, but they, they do have a growing services business that I think is part of why the multiple is allowed to be a little bit higher. The Sox is up 3 percent today, Carter. Well. You've got one big player there doing funny things. Mm -hmm. That's a different subject. That's all you're going to say? Well, you either are a buyer or seller in NVIDIA here, and that's going to determine so many people's fortunes in the next three to six months. Are you still a seller of NVIDIA? It's it's determined a a portion of my dwindling (laughs) fortune over the last month. And and I haven't cracked a smile about it because, you know, this is one that when the stock was 264, okay, a few weeks ago I started shorting. So it's been... Um, really painful f- to me, but on a day like today, to see this stock up 5%, yeah. it barely had a downtick. It feels like by the time they report next Wednesday, I think it's Wednesday the 24th, this stock is probably going to be back at its prior all-time highs. And I'll just mention this again. You know, this stock has had huge swings around data center, around crypto mining, around gaming, around all every major trend that we've wanted to focus on on the last five years. They get credit, but then it also gets punished a little bit. And at 26 times sales right now and a three quarter of a trillion dollar market cap, I think it probably encapsulates a lot of the excitement in and around AI, at least if you're playing the picks and shovels. And this is probably that play. All right. Coming up, Bath, Body and Bowl. Why these two stocks are heading in different directions. The details next. And sticking with the bees, biotech still struggling after a rough couple of years, but could there be a cellular shift in the works? More on that when Fast Money returns. Get your trades to go with the Fast Money podcast. Catch us anytime, anywhere. Follow today on your favorite podcasting app. We're back right after this.
Welcome back to Fast Money. Stocks closing out in the green as investors continue to watch debt ceiling negotiations. The Dow jumping 115 points, the S&P up nearly 1%, and the Nasdaq leading the gains up 1.5%. Shares of Bath & Body Works jumping nearly 11% on the back of a strong top and bottom line beat this morning. The retailer also raising its full-year earnings guidance. But a gutter ball for Bolero. Shares dropping nearly 17% after posting a wider-than-expected loss. The drop bringing that stock negative for the year. Let's turn now to the biotech sector. The XBI under pressure this week after the FTC moved to block Amgen's $28 billion acquisition of Horizon Therapeutics. That move sparking concerns of a broader government crackdown on healthcare M&A. Our next guest says such a crackdown would be disastrous for a sector that's just getting back on its feet. Jared Holtz is a healthcare sector strategist with Mizuho. He is here at the Nasdaq market site. Jared, great to have you with us. Thank you. Um, so, so what happens because you know, the XBI had jumped thinking, oh, we're going to see deals. So there's going to be targets. And then now what? Well, there still are so many deals to be had here. I mean, I th think that's the bullish argument. Um, this Amgen horizon is, is surely a curveball. Um, we've been talking about it all week since the news came out. I really don't think the government has a, a real great case here when we kind of like look at the detail. It's really around bundling volume discounts, which pretty much every corporation, every conglomerate does to some degree. So is Amgen a bad actor? Are they kind of getting back at them a little bit? Maybe. It just doesn't seem like from a, a true FTC market share perspective, there's anything to worry about here. So it's a little bit of an anomaly. We'll work through it. Does it crush M&A hopes? Maybe over the very near term, but I think this gets worked out. Let's say it gets blocked. Would that just mean the end of M&A across the board? Because, I mean, the whole point of M&A is to acquire new drugs in pipelines and to have some sort of efficiencies, consolidation, right? Well, the absurd thing is that on one hand, the government is saying we're going to, you know, we're going to meddle around with the pricing dynamic. We're going to make sure that prices come down and that impacts the financial statements of all of the large cap companies. Then on the other hand, they're saying, well, you can't go acquire assets which are going to supplement or complement your existing business. It seems a little bit unfair to, you know, poke them both ways, but we'll have to see. It would, it would certainly be detrimental, I think, for this entire small and mid-cap biotech complex if we were to be voted down. Um, but it, at the same time, it would be, would be unprecedented, I think. I mean, it would seem like I don't know how they could force them to do it. They're, they're companies that are sort of innovative, but it's not their, that's not their expertise to convert from an innovative drug to a widely distributed manufactured drug. I, that, I mean, that part doesn't make sense. Who, who else could buy them or do, how, do they, how would they possibly do that? Well, all the innovation is happening at the small and mid-cap biotech level, right? The, right. the large-cap pharma corporations are really commercial entities. They're marketing machines. And so much of the actual drug discovery and innovation, what have you, is happening with, you know, within the XBI complex type of stocks. And so it just doesn't make sense that you would disallow marketing companies, commercial companies that are ac actually providing access to the drugs from these drug development engines vis-a-vis -a, -vis a horizon or, you know, hundreds of other names we could talk about. I mean, generally for the sector as a strategist, uh, it's sort of been a one-way trade to be underweight pharma and to be overweight managed care, right? United Healthcare is the largest stock in the sector and managed care has outperformed eight out of the last 10 years. Do you think that trade continues or is it time to maybe back away from managed care? Well, I think it probably continues over the short term. I mean, if this Horizon deal gets blocked, it's actually arguably worse for pharma than it is for biotech, right? Because you're disabling the ability of all the companies in, in pharma to actually improve their businesses and pivot 
and acquire assets that they're going to need later down the road. So I feel like if this Amgen deal gets blocked, I would want to be short large cap pharma for sure. It sounds from your note like you thought that maybe biotech would pick up despite the troubled charts, even in spite of the FTC move, the, the doubts over Pfizer CGen on top of Amgen Horizon, you still say go ahead with XBI, that trade? I think so. I mean, it's dampened the day for sure. I mean, I mentioned it in the piece earlier this week that like this was a definitely one of the variables at play. I just feel like the negativity around biotech has been so prevalent for so long and so many of the negatives in, in terms of the narrative are out there that it's just it's time for the space to do better. And I, I do think other M&A deals will happen. Maybe this Horizon deal, there's idiosyncrasies about it that make it unique, but there's plenty more you know, in this sector to choose from. Jared, great to see you. Thank you so much for coming in. We do appreciate it. Thank you. Appreciate it. Jared Holtz. Um, Carter, going back to UNH, you've called that chart godlike. So do you agree with, with Jared's call? Well, see, so it's the most idiosyncratic thing. It, it, it doesn't care about currency, doesn't care about Putin, doesn't <laughs> care about Tesla or NVIDIA. It, it's just, uh, and it is, of course, uh, over-owned. The question is, does that group manage care, which has literally tripled the healthcare sector, continue to outperform? I don't suspect it can and will. One of, one of Jared's points, um, I'm not going to guess it's been goodbye, so of course we wouldn't bring him back, but, but he's talked about something like Lilly as being, you know, these names that have had such uh, extreme outperformance even to the group are names you stay with, uh, especially because they're obviously in the exciting, sexy areas of weight loss and Alzheimer's, um, but that there's, there's a dynamic here where truly they are positioned for growth in a way that they, they kind of deserve these multiples. It's interesting also the way he refers to these big pharma companies really as just commercial marketing entities. Um, and yeah. it's, certainly if you watch enough TV, it's what it feels like. Right. Um, but but they, they really are massive. And, and you know, yesterday or two days ago, Pfizer came with $41 billion in, in new debt um, on a day when also you also saw some Treasury funding. People attributed Pfizer's deal pushing up Treasury yields. I mean, they're so big um, and they're so uh, able to really raise money that sometimes you do wonder whether they're really drug companies. It's pretty fascinating, though, and I think it speaks to how confusing or how difficult it is to navigate this market. Just look at two names that you just mentioned. Lilly is up 40 percent in just a matter of months because something that was on the horizon. Horizon, you know, and we know that there's always these things out there, but it's gained, what, 100, 150 billion dollars in, in market cap, where Pfizer in the other way is down 35 percent since December, losing, what, 75 billion or something like that. So it just shows you, like, it's starting to become a real stock pickers market out there. Coming up, Baba's bad day. Shares dropping as China Tech gets hit. The earnings and cloud spinoff that had investors selling out. And throughout May, CNBC is celebrating Asian American and Pacific Islander heritage. Here's the CEO of Olaplex. Asians in general, we have this attitude of gratitude. And that's because we took time, we took energy, we really want to be where we are. And with that said, we, we feel like this is the right moment for us to not only see ourselves as value add, but also help others in that space. Push yourself as hard as you can and as far as you can, because regrets in life are never about failures, but about things you wanted to do and never did.
Welcome back to Fast Money. Alibaba falling over 5% after the company reported a mixed quarter. Baba missing expectations in the company's first full quarter since China has reopened after COVID. Alibaba also announcing plans to spin off its cloud division. Tim, why this reaction? Well, I, I think the reaction should be that there's, there's a lot of potential here on some of the parts. I don't like to do some of the parts stuff because it usually doesn't work out. And that's why people talk about some of the parts. Um, but I think in this case, there's so much value to unlock. We know why it's trapped and locked. Um, but I think the GMV growth for their core business is going to grow in the second half of 23. I think people are underestimating China. And I think on valuation at 10 times EBITDA on 24, uh, you know, it's, it's hardly expensive. As I've said over and over, you're not buying this on valuation. You're buying the view that actually it's hands off. Uh, and I mean the government's hands off. So I, I kind of like things here. Um, and I'm curious to hear Carter's view on the chart because it, it's, you know. Well, it's a group thing, right? We know Tencent, JD, they're all attempting to buy yeah. them, and then it's not quite working, and they're trying again. But I think you want to be exposed to the group. KWEB is the way to do it. And my hunch is the lows are in, and you want to add when you can. Is this a... Uh attracting you, Karen? Kind of. In. I know. I know. I mean, you know, I was surprised. Good for getting how, out. Yeah. I mean, uh, but, at least at less painful levels. Right. Right. As I, can, as I have not. So <laughs> Well, I'll clear. let you know if I get back in so you can expect more pain. But I think that it was interesting. I mean, I guess the earnings were a little light. This, As Tim has said, this is not an earnings a little light, little good. I mean, that's not what this is about. It's about do people believe that there can actually be a creation of value by spinning off some of these parts? If they can, absolutely. There's huge upside, huge. So, yeah, I'm kind of interested. I'm sad to say. All right. Well, one trader is taking advantage of Baba's pullback to make a bullish bet on this stock. Mike Coe's got the action. Hey, Mike. Yeah, so Baba was one of the 10 busiest single stock options that we saw today. It traded more than two times its average daily options volume, calls outpacing puts by more than three to one. One of the bigger trades we saw, actually one of the bigger trades we saw in any stock today was a purchase of 4,000 of the September 95 calls. Buyer spent $6 a contract. That's an outlay of $2.4 million. It gives them the right to buy $38 million worth of stock. And there's a bet that the stock could rise more than 17% by September expiration. Yeah, Mike, we already had a lot of uh, Chinese internet earnings out already, JD as well as Baidu, and they did well. So uh, what are we seeing in the rest of the group? Uh, well, they did they did well in terms of their numbers, but not so well in terms of their price action. We own Baidu, actually, and we had exposure to a lot of other Chinese stocks as well. We actually have paired them, and you know, I, I have a real interest in getting back into some of these things, but it, it's very difficult, obviously, to do that with the punishment we've seen. But I think this may be a buying opportunity, which obviously some of the other people are saying as well. All right. Mike, thanks. Mike Coe. For more Options Action, tune into the full show. That is tomorrow, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Coming up, so good, so bad, so technical. The Chartmaster has two names on his radar, one blue chip flying too close to the sun and one cooler maker ready to thaw out. The names when Fast Money returns. Welcome back. Here's a sneak peek at the Kramer cam. Drink this in. Jim is chatting with the CEO of Celsius Holdings, John Fieldy. Catch the full interview at the top of the hour on Mad Money. We are back with a new spin on an old favorite. So bad it's good. But before we reveal the name that could be an under-the-radar buy, the Chartmaster has one for us that actually looks so good it's bad. Carter, what are you looking at? You kind of have to get your mind around that. You're like, what, do I, what are we talking about? Um, I mean, can something be uh, just steep? We know this. Can something be expensive? 
whether it's price to cash flow or price earnings, or uh, can something just be crowded on a sequencing basis where it's just gone up and up and up without any dips or corrections or pullbacks or declines? And General Electric is that, right? This is a stock that peaked some 20 plus years ago, a darling, of course, at one point, one of the most valuable companies in the world. Uh, and then it collapsed, right? Big problems. But it's now up from 48 to over 100. It's trading farther above its 150-day moving average at any point in about 10 years. And uh, for my money, you know, at a minimum, if you're long, you trim or you sell calls or you take some other measures before, as they say, someone does it for you. Mm -hmm. And you've been taking measures, haven't you? I have been. And again, I've, I've a long standing position that was very painful. And it was definitely one of those get out of jail um, free dynamics, selling upside calls um, at 95 bucks. Um, so I've been called away if I was called today. And it's out in the middle of June. Um, I still think it might come back. I, I'm with Carter. I, I also think this is another one of those names where they've gotten more credit for the sum of the parts and the spin offs. And I, I realize that their aerospace business is a much clearer story to tell once they spin off Vernova. Um, I just think you've done a lot. Yeah. Karen, what do you think of the story? I just, I remember this was what, a seven to one split. So I can't yeah. help but think of this as, you know. Cheating. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> kind of. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So a $16 stock. I mean, what a transformation the business cult is. I, I think, you know, that is a huge job and he's been able to do it well. But I don't know. I just, um, I, I don't have a position there. Um, I'll let that one go. All right. Let's go back to the original flavor of this game. And that is so bad. It's good. Carter, what name do you have for us there? Well, we're going to look at Yeti. So this was a great high flyer, of course, and you wonder how you can do that when really you're selling coolers, not a very innovative thing, but maybe a way it is. But the chart, what we know is something that drops 75% after basically a, a five-bagger, and it has all the elements of a bottom, meaning it's basing and curing and healing, and it has, from my point of view, asymmetrical upside versus downside. Can I ask how something heals, how a chart heals? <laughs> I'll tell you, it's just like a person. Okay. So it's like a you're person. going like this, I, I, and then no, like that, and it's called you dead. Or <laughs> guess what? You start to convalesce, and then you work through it, and you, and you relapse, and then you heal and cure. Same thing. The amount of just time, like the though, <laughs> for the healing process on this one it hasn't really been that long. It's only been a couple of years. Well, no, it's, it bottoms no. in September, right? So, you know, we're six, eight months into it. Okay, and that's long enough. For the healing process. Can I ask Carter a question? Yeah, of course. All right, so when you look at the chart like this, do you look, or any chart, how much, if at all, do you look at the balance sheet? And how no, does no, that factor no, in? No, no, no. <laughs> no, no. I, I, I did that for years. Don't, 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 don't tell me what to buy. Tell me where to buy it. I understand. There are pills. That, if you're sleep, you can't get to sleep at night. People take medicine. If I can't sleep, I get out a Q or a K. I'm out like this in a second. I haven't handled one of those documents in years, and I did it for years when I first started in the business. I never look at income statements, balance sheets, or any other consideration besides price. By the way, that's good, that's good trade school. By the way, folks yes. at home, if you are if you sleep. have insomnia, yes. take out a 10Q. <laughs> take out a 10Q. Okay, there work are many of them, time. and they're all free online. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the others so bad they're good. Carter, we're going to give up to people a bonus round on this one. Well, Generac, another high flyer that. Uh, fell from grace, but also, in this case, down almost 85%. And often stocks do that, and then they go like Peloton, and they never come up for air. Um, this one is also basing and bottoming, and I think you've got real asymmetry, upside potential versus downside. Weren't you in Genrock way back when? A long way, time ago, way back. Years, God, years, your years memory, ago. Missy Harvard Girl, is just, is it? Uh, I mean, I, I, Yeti, I'm kind of partial to Yeti. I got a Yeti right here. I, th- Have that you one healed? Was, I mean, I mean. I guess I'm healing. I don't know. I mean, I do look at the balance sheet, and I don't find it boring, but that's okay. No, I, I want to understand your, your, your methodology. Yeah. 
Yeah. Would you would you go into either Yeti or Generac? Um, I, I tell you what. Yeti is a name that at least I feel like I can understand why at some point it's overdone. And uh-huh. if you look at the balance sheet and you look at the earnings, and actually I have looked at it, it's, it's not ridiculously expensive, which is why it got down to a place where, it, you know, at some point valuations do matter in companies where you do know what they do. It's terra firma. So, um, yeah, Yeti. Well, Yield. to his point, it's trading at next year 15 times, um, 25 expensive percent expected EPS growth, high single-digit sales growth. And, and I think that during that steep ascent that you talked about, it did not have any valuation support. All that said, I mean, hold your thing up again, Karen. That's um, $35. I know. Is okay, it so, so like if you think about consumer, just, you yes, that, that's that? my only point. You know what I mean? And they're beautiful. And we love them. I don't know why we love them, but we love them. And we the keep I buying cold them. Liquids like hot coffee. Your hot liquids hot. They do? Yes, the top leaks. So you well, she bought the one. They have ones with like a sippy cup and all that stuff. Well, that's $40 with that. If you could get away with selling that thing for $35. You must yeah. be doing Have at it. Have at it. Have at it. Yeah. Have at it. Yeah. Stop drinking your coffee so aggressively. I mean, it, yeah. maybe it doesn't mean. <laughs> Up next, final trades. A new development in the Montana ban of TikTok for the whole state. Now, a number of TikTok creators have filed a lawsuit seeking to ban the law signed by the governor from taking effect. This was an interesting one. Um, they wanted to ban the sale of the app, even through app stores which I don't know how they do across state lines, Dan, but I mean, is this, I don't know. I feel like we keep saying this term political theater, like like again and again and again. And like, how do you enforce a ban of an app that like every teenager in America already has on their smartphone? You know what I mean? It just seems like really goofy. So to me, I just feel like we're going to be in this political goofy season for a while. But you don't see this as any sort of a prelude to TikTok maybe being banned on a federal level, Karen, which had been for some time like a a positive thing potentially for, for Meta. Right. I, it had been. I mean, everything seems to be a positive thing for Meta these days. You know how cycles go. But it's interesting. It seems like the momentum is somewhat sour, not soured, just lost. There was a bipartisan right. push and everybody was on board. And then I don't know exactly happened. The debt ceiling, maybe. And they That's just got busy. distracted. Yes. They can only do one thing at a time. <laughs> I don't know. But is that is that hope gone, do you think, that TikTok ban? No, I don't think so. And and I'm not sure I like it as, as a U.S. citizen. On some level, I probably love it as a U.S. citizen. I mean, it is bizarre. I mean, this sounds like I, I feel like we, we are Russia and China here um, with this, except for the fact that uh, and, and I'm not sure what this app is telling us about our country or what it's divulging other than really inane things that people do and watch. Yeah. Anyway, um, it, it, I, I think it's absolutely on the table. China is a bipartisan opponent. Focus. All right. Final trade time. Tim, back to you for that. Yeah, well, let's go to China then. I mean, why not Alibaba? We talked about this. I think spinning off the cloud business really is a catalyst that will unlock more value. Uh, and I think the GMV is growing. Karen. Yeah, I'm right there with him. K-Web. Thank you, Carter, for the basket. There you go. Carter. Yeti and Generac. Hmm. Ooh. Dan, His chart of GE makes me want to sell it. My friend David Gellis' book, The Man Who Broke Capitalism, about GE, makes me also want to sell it. All right. Thanks for watching Fast Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now.
All opinions expressed by the Fast Money participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Fast Money participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Fast Money Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Fast Money Disclaimer. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager.